bowling ball. If I could only find some pins. You found better than that, traveling buddy. It's me! Oh, my. So forget about Tarshish. All we need to do is get this whale to swim to Nineveh. You give the message, I sell the plush toys. We'll be right back on track. Carlisle, please don't speak to me. I'm having a rather bad day. Well, you don't need to be so down about it, Mr. Grumpy Pants. Look around you. We're inside a whale. We're going to be digested. Do you know what that means? Of course I do. Digestion runs very deep in my family. I'm just trying to have a positive outlook, you know. You know the difference between you and me is that you see the whale as half empty, but I see the whale as half full. I don't know what that means. Neither do I. Oh, I might as well face it. God gave me a job to do, and I disobeyed him. I ran the other way. I've done something terrible, and now I'm getting what I deserve. I'm going to die here in this whale. Have you ever seen anything so pathetic? Mm-mm. This boy needs some help. What? Who's there? Take it easy, Jonah. We're on your side. What? How did you know my name? How did you get in here? Were you in the bowling ball, too? Uh, no. That's not how we get around. No, we came straight from the big man himself. You mean... Mm-hmm. And just like you, we deliver his messages. So, you're prophets, too? Not exactly. You see, we work on a slightly higher level. You do? And Jonah, we've got a message for you. Technical difficulties. Be ready for this. You're feeling pretty blue. You didn't do what God requested. Yeah, I'm being woven too. If I was gonna be digested, Anybody seen this one? Sure. What do you think? Yeah, Nick, will, will it work, the rest of it?
he's standing in his head up there. Simon and Garfunkel's song, the words of the prophets are written in the subway halls, uh, or subway walls and tenement halls. And sometimes in animated features, you can find real truth. He's uh, reconnecting that. Sorry for all the stuff you do. Know that he'll be ready with the 
Thank you, Andy. You hung in there very well. Thank you. Did you catch what Jonas said to Carlisle? I've done something terrible. I disobeyed the Lord. Now I'm going to get what I deserve. I'm going to die in this whale and be digested. Jonah, you actually said that? Is What kind of God do you think sits on the throne up there anyway? A God who clobbers you when you have it coming? What do you think? I think we better revisit this. But first, now those angels. Do angels actually sing in a whale? What do you think? Well, using a little imagination, going back a few centuries, I picture God sitting on his throne being approached by a delegation of angels. And he says, yes. And they said, "Uh, God, your son is just about to be born, isn't he? Oh, that's right. Tomorrow night, earth time. Well, uh, how are you going to announce it? Um, Sounds like you have a proposal, Gabriel. Well, yes, we thought we'd go down. All of us loyal angels, we'd go down. And we would look and find an appropriate group of people. And then I would make the announcement. And then all of us would sing an anthem of praise to you. What do you think? Hmm, what's it sound like? Well, we got a lot of work to do on it. But hmm, hit it, fellas. And they start singing. And God smiles and says, that'll do fine. Enjoy and tell me about it when you get back, okay? Oh, we will. And so, sitting around the campfire the next night, are a number of shepherds, and it's dark, and all of a sudden, ooh! And Gabriel says, oh, sorry, I forgot your eyes. Uh, in just a minute, they'll, they're there, now they're adjusting. Who are you? Well, I have some good news for you. You know how you were just saying to each other you wished the Messiah was here? Well, he's here. He is? Yes, he was born tonight in Bethlehem. He's a little baby boy wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Check it out. Really? Now, we've got something special for you. Mm, Hit it. And the sky splits open with every loyal angel there was singing their heart out in praise of the most wonderful God you could imagine. And the shepherds are sitting there... And when the sound and the light died away, if you would have asked those shepherds, is there one more thing you'd like? They would have looked up and said, an encore? (laughs) So, angels sing when, what? When there's wonderful news from God. And so, in a way, the imagination of fellows who put veggie tales together, the idea of having angels singing in this whale to Jonah is not really all that far out, is it? And did you notice what they were singing? You couldn't miss it, could you? God is what kind of God? A God of second chances. Are you sitting here this morning conscious of having blown it terribly? 
And if anybody ever needed another chance, you do. Well, guess what? If it's a second, a third, a fifth, a ninth, however many you need, guess what? You have them. Because that's just the way God is. He loves us incredibly much. Now, when I was uh, in college, one of the things that I did was earn my way through. I, for several years, I worked in dorm housekeeping, which is a nice term for janitor, okay? Well, they put up a new dorm, and there were three sections, two wings where the, the rooms were, and then one section where the administrative offices and the uh, chapel were. And there was a space between each of the sections and to cover it up, they put some extruded aluminum, which looked nice. But you see, the floor was covered with inch-square ceramic tile. And they sealed it, and the ceiling got on the aluminum. Well, one day, my uh, work supervisor said to me, I want you to clean that off. I said, okay. So I got some stuff, and I started scrubbing. And I think I scrubbed and scrubbed to my arm. was almost out of its socket. And then I noticed on the, right at the very end of it, it was peeling up a little bit. So I grabbed it and very carefully peeled up about that much of it. And I held it up and looked. And you know what I saw? All my scratch marks. And they hadn't made a dent in it, hardly. And I looked and I thought, you're getting nowhere you got to do this different. So I looked at that stuff I was working with, and I thought, well, if you spread it on ahead of time, maybe it'll soak in and soften it, and it'll come off a little easier. So I spread it off, and then I thought, well, there's three stories. Put it on all three. So I did. Five o'clock came, time to check out. And a little voice said, don't you think you better clean that up? And I almost did. But then I thought, I'll get it in the morning, you know. Next morning, I came around the corner and almost laid rubber on the floor. My work supervisor had been a sergeant in the wax, women's army, which I think is why the dean hired her. Mrs. Shattuck had no trouble with a dorm full of college guys. Anyhow, she was standing here like this, steam rolling out of her ears, and her foot was doing this. And I knew I was in trouble. Now, this is one of the lessons I needed to learn in learning how to work, which I still find quite an adventure in life. Anyhow, she said, John Glass, I gave you this job just to see what you'd do with it, and you did exactly what I thought you'd do with it. Clean it up. And she turned in her best military manner, marched off and slammed the door for effect. Now, I didn't deserve to be spoken to like that. You know how I deserve to be spoken to? You're fired. But she didn't say I was fired. Now, as time passed, I grew a lot. And and we came to be precious to each other. And I learned so much from her. I think I learned more from working than, than being in the classroom. But you know... Back to what Jonah said, 
I'm getting what I deserve. Does God clobber people who deserve it? Now, Mrs. Shattuck didn't clobber one of her daughters. She had four younger daughters. She just ordered me to do it right. But, you know, God never clobbers people and gives us what we deserve. You know what he does instead? In Isaiah 53, I think it is verse 6, it says, He laid on his son all our iniquities. God doesn't give you what you deserve. You know why? Because he gave it to Jesus. All of your sins went on Jesus, and then what happened to the son? He died, didn't he? So you and I don't have to. God never gives people, ever gives people what they deserve, because all of that went against Jesus. That was the hardest thing he could have ever gone through. But he did it because of what reason? Simply because he loved us. And if you think it was hard for Jesus, anybody here a parent? Yes. Is it easier or harder for a parent to watch their child go through something or to go through it themselves? It is that child. When we get there, and see the father and son looking at each other, we're going to know just how difficult Calvary really was. So again, this to me is a marvelous picture of God. God doesn't clobber us when we deserve it. He gave it to his son Jesus who died. Therefore, we can be treated and receive what Jesus so richly deserves. Amen. So that, to me, is a wonderful picture of God we can put in our photo album. Now, if you need another chance, as I said a minute ago, you have it. Amen. All you need to do is ask him for it. Why don't you? Why go home desperate another day? Father, I needed it. I, I need another chance. I'm like in a belly of a whale. Get me out of this, would you? He will. He will. Now, um, back to Jonah. <laughs> you ever wondered how come God insisted that Jonah go? I mean, obviously he didn't want to. And do you understand the background of Nineveh as to why he didn't want to? Nineveh was the biggest city in the world at that time. Somebody said they had upwards of 150,000 people living there. In the Bible, God said 120, and I guess he knew at that time that so many were there. They were extremely wicked, violent people. But God insisted, by the way, they were mortal enemies of Israel. God insisted, Jonah, go. Why? Well, I did a little work and I found two reasons, which I think are very interesting. Now, the origin of Nineveh went back to a woman named Semiramis. Now, Semiramis was a very gorgeous, licentious gold digger, if you please. And the 
the legend had it was that she had been raised by doves. Guess what the name Jonah means? Dove. I think the Lord was trying to tell them something through him. Now, the the other thing that happened, on the way to Nineveh, Jonah took a submarine ride, didn't he? In that whale. And when he got there, he had come fresh from being barfed out by the fish onto the dry land. Now, the name Nineveh means house or place of fish. Putting those two things together, I think God was trying to tell those people in Nineveh from the king to the commoner a message of his grace, that he understood them. By the way, you do realize God knows and understands you, don't you? You know, it says he counted the very number of the hairs on our head. And if he knows that about you, he knows about everything else too, right? Because we usually don't value how many hairs we have on our head. It just shows how intimately acquainted God is with us. Now, Nineveh, by the way, do you remember how God ended the book of Jonah? He said, Jonah, this plant sprouts and grows in a night shelters you, and then it dies, eaten by a worm, Carlisle maybe, I don't know, and and you pity the plant, shouldn't I pity 120,000 people who don't know right from wrong? Beside that, all that cattle? My wife has this bumper sticker that I like, it says, be kind to animals, don't eat them. I like that. <laughs> I like that. God has pity like that. Pity for dumb animals, mute animals. He really cares for all of his creation. Now, when we look at the world around us, and and we look at it in Scripture, what about the heathen? You know, if it was up to Jonah... Would he have ever on his own gone to Nineveh? I really don't think he would have. They were mortal enemies of Israel. They were sitting on the Tigris River. By the way, after that incident with the Lord, did he ever get home? Well, I think you go to Mosul, which is across the Tigris River from the ancient site of, of Nineveh. I think they've been trying to do some restoring for the sake of tourists like us. Anyhow, Jonah's tomb is there. So in one way you would look and say, I guess he spent the rest of his life there. And it probably was necessary. Somebody needed to teach these people how to serve God. And they needed to teach them about the kind and character of the God that we have up there in heaven. Now, do you find loving, wicked, revolting people a natural thing? Or do you find it difficult to do? You know, like, for instance, uh, using something from right now, what about the Boston bombers? 
you find yourself, your heart going out to them? Or you sit there and you think, well, I hope justice does its thing with them. It's so easy to take that response to things and to people out there, isn't it? When God looks down at the wicked, how does he view them? Well, let's shift from the Old Testament to the New. All right? Now, do you remember the story of the dog woman? You know, Jesus knew she was there, and he wanted through her to convey a very important lesson to his disciples. So he took them all the way over to a foreign country. They get over there, and they're walking along, and this woman starts crying after him. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David. And the disciples look at Jesus, and he's acting like, you know, he's blowing her off. And and, she, and, and he said, Master, rebuke her. She's crying after us. In other words, she's revolting to us. Get rid of her. And Jesus stopped and turned and looked at her, and he said, what do you want? She said, oh, Master, that my daughter is possessed with the devil be set free. Well, uh, you know, you shouldn't take the food from the children and give it to the dogs. Now, he used that, not that he was calling her a dog, but that's what his disciples thought of her, and he was speaking in terms of their thinking. God does that. The Lord Jesus does it very well. And I can hear them thinking, yeah, dog, go, bark up some other tree. And Jesus, the the way he said that, there must have been a twinkle in his eye or something that was saying, don't give up yet. And she listened and said, oh, master, that's true. You don't feed the food to the dogs. But you know, the dogs eat the crumbs from the children's table. And Jesus at that point, I picture, breaking into a big, big smile. And he reaches down and for some reason, I picture him taking her face in his hands and say, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Your daughter is healed. You know, two things. First of all, what did he call her? Woman. That was, at that time, the term of the greatest respect a man could address a lady with. Today we use the word lady, but a woman was the term back then. Oh, great is your faith. And he went ahead and healed her daughter. Now, I don't know what the disciples said or thought after that. It's not in the book. But you can use your imagination the same as I. Now, the members of the early church were what ethnic group? What were they? They were all Jewish, right? Which gave them a great homogeneity. They were all Jewish. They kept the Sabbath. They practiced tithe. What else? They they ate the proper diet and so on. They were all the same. And they all had the same attitude toward the wicked. You know, it took more than just a dog lady to get them past that. 
Jesus had died, been buried, resurrected. They'd been spending 40 days with him. And they're on the way to where he's going to ascend. And this is in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What were they asking Jesus? Are you going to put get the Romans out of here and put us back on the pinnacle number one in the world in power and prestige and honor and glory and all of that? And Jesus at that point, if I was him, I would have said, oh boy, <laughs> these disciples are so slow. Anyhow, he responded. He said, it's not for you to know. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses where? All over the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, including Wisconsin. Aren't you glad we're included? Sure. Anyhow, well, let me ask you this. He said to the uttermost parts of the world, is there... Anywhere you can go that is so far removed, God can't get you. I want you to find Psalm 139. Can you find that? We're going to read just a couple of verses out of that because it says it so well. Psalm 139, beginning of verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Now, are you lost in a dark world? Dark, dark place? It's not dark to him. He knows where you're at. He sees you. He understands. And he wants you and all of us to be set free. You can't go so far God can't reach you. Now, I've been told that when I get really good and hungry, I tend to get a little grouchy. I think that's probably true. Your blood sugar goes down and you become a grump. Sometimes. Anyhow, one day Peter had gotten really good and hungry. Only dinner wasn't ready yet. So he went up on the top of the house, the flat roof up there, to pray. And he kind of went to sleep. And all of a sudden, he had a vision. You remember what it was? This big sheet let down from heaven filled with what? All the stuff he wasn't about to eat. And a voice said, Peter, get up, kill something and eat it. And Peter looked in horror. He says, oh, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything like that. Oh, no. He said, what I have cleansed, don't call common or unclean. And the sheet goes back up. Three times it comes down, same thing. And when he snaps out of the vision, he hears somebody at the gate calling out, is there a Simon Peter here? And he looks over the edge, he says, be right down. 
And he comes in as he goes down, the Holy Spirit's talking to him. Did that ever happen to you? You're trying to talk to somebody and the Spirit's talking to you at the same time? It's amazing how you can hear both clearly. Well, anyhow, the Spirit says, Peter, I sent these men, and I want you to go with them. Okay, that's how I got to Wisconsin. The Lord said, I want you to go there. I said, yes, sir, and here we are all this time later. Anyhow, so he goes with these men the next day to a home of, of all people. What did Cornelius do for work? He was a Roman centurion of all people. The ones they hated the most. Interesting who God picks, isn't it? Whom God picks? Who, whom? Someday I'll figure that one out. Anyhow, when he gets to Cornelius' home, Cornelius falls to worship him and horrified Peter. Listen, he says, no, no, I put my shirt on one sleep at the time just like you. And he gets in there and the place is crammed with people. Cornelius had everybody he knows there. And he says, well, look, you know I'm not supposed to be here because you're Gentiles and I'm Jewish, but here's what happened, and he explained it. And then he says, Cornelius, why did you send for me? And Cornelius explained the background, and Peter said, Ah, oh, now I know I should never call a human common or unclean. That vision he had, was that about food or people? It was about people, wasn't it? Very clear if you read the whole chapter. Anyhow, So he said, have I got a story for you? And he starts telling them about Jesus. And as he did, what happened? The wind started blowing. The house started rattling. And tongues of fire came down and lit on top of everyone. It doesn't say it, but Peter said, just like on us. So I think it's safe to conclude they were tongues of fire there. And they start speaking all these different languages. And Peter realizes this is the outpouring in a second Pentecost on whom? A Roman centurion and his soldier guard and his whole family. And he says, wondrously, because there's some other people came with him. He said, is there any reason they shouldn't be baptized? And these fellows who were with him kind of look at each other. So he baptizes the whole group. And when he got back, To Jerusalem, some days later, boy, the Pharisees took him to task, didn't they? You went in and ate and stayed in a Gentile's house. He said, now listen, fellas, let me tell you the story. And there in Acts, I think it's 11, he tells the story, or 12. He tells the story, and he said, that's what happened. Who am I to get in the way of what God is doing? And he said... And this is an incredible point. Let's see if I have it marked here. No, an incredible point. He said, then to the Gentiles, the gospel has gone. You know, is there anyone in this world God doesn't love? 1 Corinthians 6. uh, I was, you know, I live with a woman who's heard a lot of preaching. She's a very good critique of sermons and sermonizing. And when I said this implies to everybody, she said, how about gays? Well, I thought about that. 
You know, Paul said something in 1 Corinthians 6. May I read it to you? 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And it lists gaze, at least that lifestyle in this list. And it says, none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. And such, what? What tense is that word? It's past tense. Were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What kind of picture does that give you of God? This is picture three, actually. What kind of what kind of God do you see doing that? Let me tell you a story from my own life in closing here. I guess I did take my five minutes. <laughs> uh, we... The first house we lived in was about a mile in from Lake Michigan. And about a quarter mile up the road was a family. We never met them. And the way we met them was on a snowy morning, early in the winter. I'm going to call him Jerry. Jerry missed second, but he didn't miss our mailbox. He missed second, and whoo, wham. Well, he came into the house, and he told my wife, you know, I'll fix this after work today. Well, when I got home later, she told me that, and I said, yeah, likely story, but you know he did. And then he came to the house and said, come on out and inspect it. And he'd done a very good job. And he said, come on up. Well, I said, okay. So we went up, and it was the first of many visits in that home. They had three children, two boys and a little girl that was just adorable. Well, time passed. We moved, and one day we were living on around Lake Michigan, only another part of Lake Michigan. And Jerry and his his little girl, who is now a big girl, they were both riding motorcycles. They said, they stopped. They said, can we dry out here? I said, sure. And I remember looking at them thinking, something doesn't seem proper here. I don't know what it is, but... Well, then time passed. We moved to another state. And one day the phone rang. And it was Jerry's little girl, who is now big, and a mother in her own right. She says, John, we got a problem. You know, Dad abused me for years. Well, you talk about your skin crawling around gays. To me, perpetrators like that are a much lower level of humankind. And I just, I choked at that point. And I remembered sensing something wasn't right there. Well, she said, you know, my daughter is old enough, as, about as old as I was when it started happening to me. And I was so afraid. So I get, went to court and I got an injunction against dad. He can't be around his own granddaughter. And she said, the family's just blown apart. I wish you'd pray for us. And I said, sure, I will. Well, they made dear old dad take counseling. But, you know, counseling is so limited in what it can do. Well, then I got a phone call from Jerry's wife. And she said, may we come and spend a few days with you? I swallowed hard and said, well, okay. So the day they were supposed to show up, I was 
kind of nervous and pacey the floor type. And then I saw them pull in the end of the driveway and start toward the house. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. As they got out of the car, we came out of the house. And it was from here, always over there. And I started walking. And he stands there. And it's one of those moments when your whole life is right in front of your eyes. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Slug him? Spit at him? Instead, all of a sudden, I felt impelled with his spirit forward. I threw my arms around him and gave him the hug of his life. And he started shaking. It wasn't until later that I recognized that God was telling Jerry something through me. I still love you. Jerry, in spite of what you did. I accept you still. You're still precious to me. And that's the kind of God we serve, folks. God who gives reluctant prophets a second chance. A God who still loves the heathen enough to do something about it. Amen. What a God we have. He is a God of second, third, fifth, tenth, twelfth chances. Amen.